0: Diana and I were friends. There was many lovely stories where I'd be sitting in San Lorenzo waiting for lunch and I'd be sitting there having a crudité and she'd come in behind me and make my carrot and stick it in my um, anchovy sauce and walk away saying, thanks very much, have a lovely Easter. Yeah, she was a lovely, lovely lady. I loved her very much. And whatever people say about her propaganda, about her, it's all ridiculous rubbish. She was a lovely person. I don't care what anybody says.
1: Welcome everybody, I am Susie Menkes, editor of Vogue International at Condé Nast, and you are listening to my podcast, Creative Conversations. As a journalist reporting on the global fashion industry, I want to take you backstage and give you an insight into my world. Listen to my exclusive conversations with creatives, industry leaders and those whose voices have some of the greatest impact. I think you might find it interesting and maybe intriguing. Thank you all for tuning in each week. Richard Young may have photographed Princess Diana, followed the Sex Pistols around the UK visited Romanian orphanages with Michael Jackson and slipped into Elizabeth Taylor's party for Richard Burton. But when people started to gather in London's Hyde Park last week to demonstrate for Black Lives Matter, the photographer to the stars showed a different side of his work. Now in his early 70s, giving him more than 40 years behind the lens, Young was showing his determination for social documentary rather than his well-known work with celebrities. Throughout his career, he has been as much a portraitist as a photojournalist, but one fitted with the other, even if he admits that Fidel Castro was baffled when the photographer described his army fatigues as very Yves Saint Laurent. Behind Young's cheery smile is a vibrant energy that took him from work with Paul Getty Jr. to the London Evening Standard and an ultimate gathering of two million images. They feed the Richard Young gallery that he founded in 2008 with his wife Susan. A regular at the top fashion parties, he has watched all the supermodels grow up while he followed Freddie Mercury for ten years. A picture may be worth a thousand words, but not when the Richard Young stories come out of his own mouth with irony and wit. nice of you to do this because I hear that you were following around people protesting today and that must have been quite a dramatic thing to do, wasn't it? Black lives matter, yeah.
0: Everybody has a a point to make and everything else and and rightly so. I don't know what happened after we left. We left, we stayed there for about two hours and then I hear it went marching off towards Downing Street.
1: What's really been in your blood and in your camera for the last 40 years has been catching people, famous or rising stars, is that going to survive, do you think, the current virus? Are you going to be in six months' time or six weeks' time chasing famous people and getting close to them and taking pictures?
0: Well, the word is, and I've spoken to a few people in, in the industry, especially people that create diaries and things that send out, they send out to their subscribers. Uh, when I mentioned it uh, about a few weeks ago to one particular lady she said to me, you know, whatever position you're in right now, which was quite horizontal with my left feet up and uh, shoes off, she said, stay that way, because nothing's going to happen until at least Christmas. I mean, I know that Dylan Jones has uh, pushed back um, the GQ man of the year to mm-hmm. December. So if that goes ahead, uh, personally, I don't see it. But uh, if that goes ahead, which, I, of course, I, I wish it, I hope it does, um, that will probably be the first thing I do on, on any grand scale.
1: Of course, you've always had um, two or maybe three sides. Um, You haven't simply gone to the parties um, held by royalty or famous people, um, although that's part of your job. But are you a visual artist or a photojournalist? Or should I put that more crudely, which is more important to you, catching the moment or making a beautiful and imaginative image?
0: I want to make a beautiful, romantic, uh, memorable image photojournalism, being a photojournalist was great in the days when I was um, associated with uh, newspapers like The Evening Standard and 20 Years, you know, as uh, a freelance on retainer with the Daily Express. And then I was, you know, a newspaper person with a newspaper uh, mentality of knowing that what was important whenever I went somewhere, not necessarily being told by a newspaper to go there, but I found out everything off my own back or with the help of various people like Ritz Magazine. Um, you went there as a photojournalist and knowing that what was important was to get that photograph. Now I'm looking for that creative photograph that I can turn into a huge print and sell in my gallery. Setting pictures in my gallery now is very, very important to me. One of the directions I really do have to consider and really take seriously now is to maintain my gallery, and my gallery will go from strength
1: to strength. So you're basically saying to me that the whole idea of the paparazzi, which was born, I'm sure, in Italy, and that was a long time ago, over half a century that was all part of a new society. But that's over, really, or at least it's over for you, that you are not part of that same world being British with an Italian slant. You're really looking for something, dare I say, more poetic or something deeper now when you take a picture.
0: Well, I want to say deeper, but it's certainly more poetic. And the fact is that I'm a photographer through every single vein in my body. Um, I, for the last 48 years, About 50 years when I first realized that I was ever going to be a photographer by seeing all those wonderful pictures I saw in magazines like Vogue and Harper's and uh, all the other fashion magazines that were around at the time and I probably was reading looking at those magazines and looking at those wonderful color or black-and-white pictures at Bailey, Duffy, Litchfield, Snowden and various other photographers you know you know, are doing and, and I was so impressed by just the way they were taken and the way they look I said I won't mind being involved with that one day and, and if it wasn't for the man who originally in 1973 who threw a camera in my hand for the very first time and sent me off to do some photographs for him for a book he wanted to illustrate I was working in this bookshop at the time in in Regent Street And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you about it. It just wouldn't have happened. It's just that once I had that camera and I had it around my neck and I was told where to go and what to take pictures of, I felt like this is so sexy. This is so important. This is great. I felt so wonderful having this camera, this Nikon camera. And from there, it all started from May 1973. And if it wasn't for that period, uh, God knows where I'd be.
1: But in one way, I would say that Your career didn't start, but really came into fruition when you were being called a photographer to the stars. Your sort of candid camera approach predated the digital world, even though you, I know, have continued to take portraits, and you also, although you say less, you still do snatched images of the famous. But what do you really love in your soul? Is it still the excitement of the chase of getting the picture... Or is it something deeper than that? Let
0: me tell you something funny. Today, I'm over High Park. It's the first time I've done anything um, in, in the realms of being serious, uh, doing an actual job. I was doing it for the agency for, for Shutterstock. And I was seeing images as I'm walking around the park. And, and, and there was a million photographers there. But I saw things that I wanted to get. And there was one or two occasions, excuse me to say this, I had to push one or two photographers out of the way because they were just lingering, watch, looking at a situation, but not reacting to the situation. Now, I, I, when I see something, i got to react to it. And I reacted to it, and it felt like, you know something? You still got it, kid. It's okay. You know, you got to you got to be a little bit careful because you can't offend people. And normally, when I'm at a a AA list kind of party, I tend to ask people all the time if I can do their picture. Um, But I must say, um, I'm not quite sure that's quite the right way. I mean. You know, very serious photojournalists don't ask people politely can I take your picture they take the picture then I don't think Cartier-Bresson ever said to anybody can I take the picture he just did it or you know even Helmut Newton who I had the pleasure of working with back in the 80s um, I don't think he even even on that job I don't think he even asked anybody can I take the picture he just did it and if you see a situation just do it just put a smile on your face and have a sense of humor.
1: whether you like it or not, as a photographer to the stars. How do you feel about that now? It was certainly extraordinary in many periods of your life and it was also unique because nobody else seemed to um, take pictures in the way that they're taken today. How do you feel it now when you look back or when you take pictures now of famous people?
0: I feel very humble about it because people... From what I can gather from, from, from what everybody tells me that people really like me and they think I'm very polite and nice towards them, which I hope I am because um, there's no room in this world to be rude or obnoxious or anything. Um, we've got enough of that stuff already. Um, so um, I just do what I've got to do in the nicest possible way because that's, well, that's the only way I know how to do it. But that doesn't mean that the first six years of being a photographer, the first six years I had to crack a few eggs to make an omelette. Um, as they say, and um, and my my father always used to say to me, um, if there's a door there, go through it. They can only tell you uh, only tell you to go back out through it. So you know, don't ask too many questions and just get on with it. Uh, and but I learned I learned the hard way in the first maybe five or six years of being a photographer as I stumbled into this whole world of celebrity, show business, uh, society, and whatever. And and I've been very, very lucky and I've been very, very grateful because, you know, a lot of, uh, oh, a lot of thank yous to a lot of people. You know, you know the back room guys, like the doorman, the, the security people, the drivers, you know, people that opened doors for me that I shouldn't have gone through, but they did. Um, and uh, it was great. It, it's, it's always been great. Um, and um, what would I have done otherwise? Become a taxi driver living in Hackney.
1: You've also raised your eyes beyond fashion and entertainment. Um, is my research right that you went to orphanages in Romania with Michael Jackson and that you photographed Fidel Castro in Cuba? Tell me about these non-social events and, and whatever you can Im- have imagined when you talk to these people.
0: Well, I got a phone call from Michael Jackson's uh, people, his, 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 uh, his uh, management company, and he was doing this charity called uh, Heal the World. And they said, Would I fly with him on a private jet to um, Romania, uh, to Bucharest, and go and, and spend some time with him? And the first morning that we're in Bucharest, uh, we all drove down in a whole convoy of, of vehicles to this uh, orphanage. And um, we're in the grounds of the orphanage. This woman came out, matron. I mean, You know, you you wouldn't want to argue with her. She was, you know, she was a a tough, tough cookie. And she said, right, nobody's coming in, just him and him pointing at Michael and me. So Michael and I walk into this orphanage and we're in there for three hours. And Michael and I could not believe what we were seeing. It was the most horrendous place I've ever been to in my life. These young babies, I mean, some of them no more than weeks old in these um, metal cribs and things crying and screaming and and the stench of urine and uh, not being looked after and 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 and, and, the, and, the, and the cribs are all rusty and we're walking around and of course there's a nurse is with us and i said to michael i said um why don't you pick up one of the babies so he picked up one of the babies he's got one in his arm oh no and I said, Michael, why don't you pick up another one? So you've got one in each arm. That'd be fabulous. And he went, Yeah, what a great idea. You know, we took pictures all morning to the point where we uh, got to the point where we were crying. Real tears were coming out of his eyes and mine, of the sadness of looking at these children in, in such a, a situation they were in. We did that for three hours, and we did it again the following morning. At another orphanage. But it was only him and me allowed in just moments in my life of how beautiful Michael was and how normal he was and everything else that went on with, between him and myself in conversations and what we talked about, which were, I mean, I, I went off on one which was most ridiculous things, talking about, I don't know what was talking about, but, you know, as I do. Um, and uh, it was just, just crazy, crazy stuff. And uh, he was the most loveliest guy you could ever wish to meet. And to spend that much time with someone of that, of that caliber, of Michael Jackson, I, I, I feel very, very, very proud to know I spent time with him. As for Fidel Castro, I got invited to spend a week in Havana, Cuba, photographing all these different parties that were going on to celebrate Cigar Week. There was a, a, a function each, each year called Cigar Week. And I went around to all these parties at night. We were having a great time getting drunk on whiskey oops, lovely beautiful cigars uh, in these restaurants There was a big dinner at the Museum of Modern Art and uh, I'm sitting on the English contingency table there's about 10 of us and I'm sitting next to, um, uh, oh I can't remember his name but anyway, the guy that took me over from, from London, on the table next to us was completely deserted and I said to him, I said, well who sits there he said, oh that's Fidel Castro's table, should he come there's a possibility he might not come, so we finished our um, our our uh, hors d'oeuvre, and 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 I could hear all this commotion going on somewhere else in the gallery. And of course, it was Fidel Castro arriving with his entourage. They came into the main 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 next to me in on the table next to me, and I thought, "Oh my God, Fidel Castro!" And I've got two Nikon cameras on the floor between my legs. I'm going right, okay, well, let's let's do, do what you do. And his security guy said, no, oh, no, 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 go sit down, go away. So I did it about five or six times after 15-minute breaks. At the end, they said to me, look, do me a favor, just get on with it, do your pictures and leave them alone, which is what I did. But strangely enough, at the end of the dinner, he got up, and um, out of nowhere came all these young ladies surrounding him. Now, I've never known Fidel Castro to have a, a, a little gathering of young ladies around him. because you would normally see him on his, on his own with his green fatigues on and what have you. And that's how you normally see him. So me, being me, the cheeky little boy that I am, I go up to him because he's got this green fatigue suit on. And you remember, you're going to remember this, that in the 60s, he's Saint made these khaki safari suits. Right? So I go up to him and I'm touching the sleeve of his jacket. I go, east her on, e her on? And he's looking at me like I'm start raving mad. And I'm ah, <laughs> oh, east on. I could see I was getting myself into trouble. And I thought the best thing to do is to back off because otherwise I may lock you up. <laughs> but it looked it looked very easy on and I thought I, I just take it with you.
1: <laughs> Your stories are so amazing. I'm sure we could go on for Hours, But I'd like to go back right to the beginning, your beginning. I mean, now every kid grows up with a do-it-yourself camera in their phone, you know, from they grab their parents' phones at the age of four and take pictures. Do you remember when you had your first camera? How old were you and what did it mean to you?
0: I, I had a box brownie. It wasn't mine. It was my sister's. Uh, my sister is just a little bit older than me. She's delightful and we're very, very good friends. <laughs> and my sister had this lovely brownie camera and we're outside our house in Stoke, Newton. And uh, we're on our way with mum with and dad. We're going off to Safalga Square, because my dad made a big deal about saying we got to go to Safalga Square, pigeons and all that kind of stuff. My sister gave me this brownie camera and I took some pictures of her. And I know somewhere <laughs> there is a picture of me standing outside the house where we live, or the apartment that we lived in, in Stoke Linton. Um, I was age, what, seven or eight? Um, And I know and I'm holding this box brownie, but can I find that photograph anywhere? No, I know it exists, but I can't find it anywhere. No one seems to have it. I don't know where it went.
1: Well, I know you've been photographing since 1974 and even before that in Paris. So is it true that your archive is over two million pictures? That's an enormous number. And um, was that what inspired you and, and Susan, your wife, to set up a gallery? Because you had so many pictures.
0: Well, I've been, as I say, I've been very fortunate to own all the rights to everything I've ever done. And, right, and behind me here, are all the archives, uh, all the library of, of uh, I'm, I'm at home now. But this is all everything of all the, all the negatives and everything. They're every all around this room, all over the place. And um, uh, there's probably more than two million negatives and everything because that's negatives. But then again, when we changed in year 2000 to digital, suddenly everything went on CDs and hard drives and all kinds of things. So, you know, from year 2000 up to 2020, we're talking about another 20 years of work. And, um, you know, the work volume is still is still as great as it ever was. Well, it won't be now. But I mean, it was up to uh, March. It was so very funny because in February of this year, things were starting to pick up. A lot of commission jobs were coming in. A lot of work was coming in. And suddenly, bang, it went dead. Uh, you know, just overnight because of the virus and everything, everything just collapsed around me. And you know, and in all the 47 years, or even longer, even the jobs I did before becoming a photographer, this is the longest period of my whole work in life since probably the day I left school that I've had any time to myself. So um, it's uh, it's been a, a unique nine weeks.
1: Yes, and um, a chance perhaps to think about your career and your life. Uh, you. Do have an extraordinary fan club of people. Freddie Mercury, I know, was one of your fans of your pictures, and um, I believe that Freddie Mercury picture I saw in London's National Portrait Gallery. Am I right?
0: Yeah, well, they, well the, the, at the mo- I'm very thrilled that um, the National Portrait Gallery uh, do exhibit the one of Freddie with his cat Tiffany. Freddie and I met in nineteen New Year's Eve of 1978. In this wonderful club called Monkbridge, which was on a German street. And um, it was one of those kind of nights which, uh, well, it was New Year's Eve. And I was on my way to a Rod Stewart concert, which was canceled at the Lyceum uh, because Rod had a a throat infection or something. So I went off to um, Monkbridge nightclub in German street, knowing that that's, well, I didn't really want to go home. And I knew the club was open. And I went in there and nobody was there yet. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, as it got to about 10 10 uh ronnie woods arrived with uh keith richards and and my dear friend uh eckland arrived and um and many others and then freddie freddie arrived with his entourage and you know i was photographing everybody i was the only photographer in there and um it was a, the best new year's eve i've ever had it there's never been a new year's eve since that has matched that new year's eve and the other thing was that about a few weeks later, or maybe uh, maybe four, or four weeks later, I got a phone call from Freddie's publicist uh, saying, would I like to come and shoot a um, video shoot they were doing at Pinewood, of one of the songs that Freddie was uh, uh, recording. Uh, and, you know, he, he liked the way I was working. And I stayed with him right up to the time, up to the day he died. Uh, that was, what, 11 years. Mm. And uh, I, did, I did all his birthday parties, I did um, a, about 10 or 15 video shoots. Um, one of my favorite ones was Barcelona with uh, Monterey, the babe, uh, and being in Barcelona with them as well. Going to Rio, to the rock in Rio, doing Freddie's birthdays in Ibiza at Pikes. Um, you know, absolutely, some stunning, stunning work. And we got on so well. Um, I mean, I was, there was only maybe three or four kind of heterosexual lunatics in the whole group and i was one of them i mean but i still had a nickname and i was muriel i became muriel young
1: (laughs) are you a cecil beaton with carefully planned images i i think not I think, if anything, you're a Cartier-Bresson catching the moment. I want to be Cecil Beaton. You do? Well, if if you say so. But is there one photograph which expresses the essence of your work, whether it's Cecil Beaton or whoever it is? Is there a style that belongs to Richard Young?
0: Well, for years and years, people used to say to me, what is your favourite picture? And I used to be terribly cynical about it by saying or giving some stupid answer. Well, um... I don't think I've taken it yet, which was ridiculous. I took it the first, in the first year that I was a photographer, and that was of Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton at the Dorchester Hotel at the party that I gate crashed of Richard Burton's 50th birthday party, getting them embracing and kissing. Obviously, I didn't ask them to do it. They did it, and I, they didn't know I was there until, of course, when they did know I was there, Elizabeth Taylor literally threw me out. But that's <laughs> not the point. The point the point is I got that picture, and that picture has lived with me for the last you know, 47 years or 46 years as being one of my favorite pictures. I look at it so often, and I go to my... I, I say to myself, if I hadn't ever, if I didn't capture that photograph when I did, again, I would not be where I am today, or be talking to wonderful people like yourself.
1: You certainly photographed an enormous number, extraordinary number of different people. Yes, the rich and famous, but also, didn't you have breakfast with Nelson Mandela and lunch with the Dalai Lama? What didn't you do? What about Princess Diana? Did you manage to photograph her?
0: Oh, yeah. Diana and I were friends. We we we, we had a, a, a very nice relationship. Um, there was there was many lovely stories where Diana, where I'd be sitting in San Lorenzo waiting for waiting for lunch, and I'd be sitting there having a crudité, and she would come in behind me and make my carrot and stick it in my um, anchovy sauce and walk away saying, "Thanks very much. Have a lovely Easter." But uh, we, we had. Many, many, um, many confrontations, nice confrontations of talking and chatting and, you know, and yeah, she was a lovely, lovely lady. I loved her very much. And, and uh, whatever people say about her, the propaganda about her, it's all ridiculous rubbish. She was a lovely person. I don't care what anybody says.
1: I want to know about Live Aid because you were very much there in 1985, behind the scenes. And that was one of the greatest concerts, I would say, of all time. And some of the most amazing performers, Freddie Mercury, Elton, David Bowie, Paul McCartney. Have I missed out anybody?
0: It was fantastic. I got there about 8.30 in the morning. I parked my Harley day uh, where I knew it would be safe. Uh, I just spent most of the day backstage in... Freddie's compound and in Elton John's compound um, running around on stage running around backstage in front of stage not knowing who you two were which was quite amazing and then oh I said who are they? they said oh it's Bono and you two and I didn't even know who they were (laughs) but of course I knew everybody else was and I thought David Bowie was amazing Uh, Freddie obviously stole the show David Bowie was absolutely stunning I knew Bowie for many many years Bowie and I knew each other uh, i think my friend mark feld introduced me to david bowie um and my other friend uh, oh god what's his name uh, mccormack uh he, he he they introduced me to bowie when we used to go to this club on princes street in oxford street by oxford circus called the batter Clan back in 64 65 we all looked like we were french boys trying to pick up the french au pair girls that used to go there Right. Because we had to wear very short Shetland sweaters with cable net, tight Levi jeans with desert boots. My God, it was a great look, man. I tell you, I really enjoyed looking like that. It was fabulous. And um, my friend Jeff McCormack, uh, who who, uh, was a photographer with Bowie and was also a a backup singer with him as well. uh, He introduced me and I went to school with Mark Feld, who later became Mark Boland T-Rex. Mark and I sat next to each other in class for many, many years. And we both got expelled age, uh, uh, 14. And, um, and that was an experience and behold because Mark was a really sharp dresser. And, um, Don McCullen, uh, did a story on, um, Mark and his, a couple of his friends in 1962 for a uh, man about town magazine. And we would just got expelled from school, me and Mark, because we played, both got expelled on the same day of playing. Because his mother and my father both had market stalls in Berwick Street Market. That's how we became good buddies.
1: So tell me something, Richard Young... What have you been up to in these last few months? How is the beard going? And I saw on Instagram that you were uh, vacuuming your place and your wife seemed rather pleased about this. (laughs) What else yeah, have you been doing? That's... Writing books? What else have you been doing? I've been
0: doing a little bit of writing, catching up on my autobiography, which has taken for, for at least four years to get to the stage where it's at now. I mean, it's going to be great. I mean, someone's going to have to get the spelling right on most, most, and every single line. The spend, the, the, my spelling is atrocious. <laughs> but no, no, but it should, I, it, it will get there eventually. I don't know how long it's going to take. I mean, you know, I, I keep on getting asked about it all the time. And I uh, even, even, uh, even have a, an editor uh, who keeps on asking me about it, too. So we'll see. We'll, we'll get there one day. Um, I, I did some vacuuming. Of course, that made me got brownie points. Uh, I want to try my hand at cooking, but they won't allow me in the kitchen. I've been making Lego, getting, making a big Lego Land Rover kit. Um, I've been walking across High Park and Kensington and Gardens like I have for the last seven years, most mornings, three or four miles. But over the last seven weeks or eight weeks, I've been taking a camera with me, photographing swans and ducks and, and whatever else takes my interest. I have a little Leica camera with me and I just take pictures. I didn't want to lose the touch of ha- hot handling a camera. I want to have that I want to have that part of my body being active and taking a camera by using my finger in, in pressing the button. So today's little episode in, in Black Lives Matter was a very important thing to do for me.
1: And how did you find it? How, how did you find it both visually and in your mind? Were you very moved by what you were seeing? Or do you have to, when you're a photographer, stand back a bit, however strongly you feel about it?
0: Well, you know, the, the people always say to me when you're a photographer and you work closely with papers and everything, which I don't do anymore. Um, you, you've got to be kind of non-political and non, non, not you know, just have a clear mind of who, of who you are, who I am. Um, but today, I felt to myself, you know, saying. So, I know so many great black artists who I've worked with over the years who have really were friends of mine. I had the greatest pleasure of working with Nelson Mandela and, and spending time in Johannesburg and Cape Town working with Mandela on his 4664 uh, project for nearly five years. I've had the pleasure of working with Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, Niall Rogers, Um, And it goes on and on. Marvin Gaye was wonderful to work with. I I, I did an album cover with him, which was called Live at the London Palladium. I did Nile Rodgers' album cover two years ago. And, you know, I get more pleasure out of working with, you know, black artists than because I just enjoy their music. You know, I I even worked with Bob Marley once, which was fantastic in 1980, uh, you know, on his concert at uh, Crystal Palace Bowl. It's just working with his These people it's so unique.
1: What do you think has been most fun in your life? You've done a lot of smiling in this um, discussion that we've had. You have sounded very enthusiastic about a lot of the things that happened to you. I'd almost think that you weren't really working, just having fun. Was your life a bit like that?
0: Um, I guess it was. I've always been a smiler. You know, my mum always used to say to me that even when I was in a pram and she would wheel me around, you know, where we lived, you know, I always say hello to everybody. I didn't, didn't know who anybody was. And the same goes to every time I go somewhere, I'm always saying hello to somebody. I don't, And they look at me like I'm starting of raving mad. You know, who are you? And I, I don't care who I am. The fact is I like to connect with people and I like to be able to say hello to them because basically at the end of the day, all we have is this us. It's only us. Without us, there's nothing. Whatever, whoever you may be.
1: Richard Young Keep on smiling and keep on taking those glorious pictures and thank you for talking to me.
0: I really appreciate it. Thank you for asking me.
1: Richard Young, you're a great storyteller as well as being a fine and famous photographer thank you for sharing so much of your life's experience with us at a time when the international lockdown against the coronavirus is in our minds and of course black lives matter it is a relief to have a brief escape but at the same time to know that you yourself are documenting these tough times i would like to wish you all and richard a safe and healthy week ahead would like to find my articles, visit the fashion channel of Vogue.co.uk and at Susie Menkes Vogue on Instagram. If you have enjoyed the podcast, then please do rate, review, subscribe and tell your friends. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, YouTube and many others. Creative Conversations with Susie Menkes is produced by Natasha Cowan and edited by Tim Thornton. Music by Jörg Zuber. Graphics by Paul Wallace. And production assistance by Lauren Sweeting.